Let's pray. Our gracious <laughs> Heavenly Father, we pray in your mercy uh, that you would bring us to know you in your word and move us to trust you as you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I was uh, speaking to some pastors at a Bible college conference some years ago and it struck me as we shared our experiences that one of the features of a life given to sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus and helping people be his followers is sadness, an almost ever-present sense of grief. Grief at people's failure to listen to Jesus and trust him. Grief at the harm people in congregations do to themselves and others by their determination despite warning to do what they want and not what the Lord Jesus commands. Grief at the judgment that will come upon all who refuse to repent on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. And it's not just pastors who know that grief, is it? Christian parents grieve for their children who stubbornly turn their back on what they've been taught at home. Friends grieve for friends whom they long to come and trust the Saviour but who just don't want to hear the gospel or when it's explained to them, grow distant. Christian husbands and wives grieve deeply for their unbelieving spouses and what awaits them. You sometimes get the impression that Christians are not meant to acknowledge or talk about that sadness we feel when we think about those we love who refuse to listen and face God's wrath. But the Lord Jesus, as you heard, wept at what would befall an unrepentant Jerusalem. And it was he who said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Grief in our hearts is real and it can be powerful. Powerful to make us want to just stop thinking about what happens to those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus. To lose heart in sharing the gospel as we meet with an unbelief that we know will lead someone to hell. Powerful to make you want the gospel message to be different, for it not to have that note of sure judgment, not to contain that warning of the day when God will judge the world in righteousness. And grief is just one of the emotions we can feel as we speak and live faithful to the Lord Jesus in a society where many seem determined not to hear our Creator's call in the Gospel of Jesus to turn back to him, to acknowledge him as Lord. We also meet and have to deal with, for example, unsettling anger and frustration at stubborn and unreasoning unbelief, or with our feelings of rejection or a sense of our own uselessness, even with impatience at God for not doing more. Though we may not talk about it, as believers seek to make disciples of all nations as our Lord commanded, there can be a lot going on in our hearts. And in my experience, it's what's going on in our hearts, the griefs and anger and frustration that over time, if not recognised and addressed, cause many who start well to lose their zeal. One of the features of the book of Jeremiah especially of chapters 1 to 20, is that it tells us a lot about what is going on inside Jeremiah, what he is feeling as he preaches for 40 plus years to a people who did not want to listen. 
We meet lots of first-person passages in those chapters and they can be intense. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in agony. Oh, the pain in my heart. My joy has flown away. Grief has settled on me. My heart is sick. We're going to look at these first-person passages today so, in a sense, we can recognise recognise aspects of our own experience in his. For grief, frustration, anger can be so unsettling that it's good to know other faithful people have felt the same. But we're also looking at these passages so we can ask how Jeremiah, feeling this grief so intensely, was able to keep going. What was it about his relationship with God and the God with whom he was in relationship that meant he was not overwhelmed by what he felt at his people's failure to respond at their rejection of him and his message, not paralysed by the turmoil within and so able to keep going year after year, speaking the message the Lord gave him, a message of both, like the gospel, sure judgment and hope, keep going despite no response, despite hostility to his message, despite the many trials that befell him. What's going on inside Jeremiah? Now, if you've read Jeremiah recently, you'll know that actually there's a lot going on inside him and it's all pretty messy, intense. You see quite violent mood shifts. But before we come to those passages, three introductory comments. Firstly, the book of Jeremiah actually prioritises Jeremiah's internal struggles, gives them prominence by its structure. You see, Jeremiah experiences a lot of hostility, endures many trials. You know, we read of him being beaten and placed in the stocks, the mob demanding him be put to death, of him being imprisoned, enduring the siege, facing starvation, oh, and more like being taken to Egypt by people who despise the word he spoke. But the record of these external trials only starts at chapter 20 and most are recorded from chapter 26 on, whereas the revealing of Jeremiah's internal turmoil is early and frequent in chapters 1 to 20. By its structure, we see that the real threat to Jeremiah's faithfully speaking the word is not that external opposition, but the emotional turmoil his circumstances gives rise to. It's what's going on inside of him, in his heart, that must be reckoned with first, just as it is with us. And secondly, we have to read the record of Jeremiah's struggles, of his complaints to God, of his lamenting his circumstances as the word of God. The book of Jeremiah is not made up of some of God's words and some of Jeremiah's. God speaking and then some very human responses from the prophet. It is all the word of the Lord in the words of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah is speaking of his grief and pain, they're not purely private musings, but public laments that God wants us to hear. It's in and through Jeremiah's very human responses that God is speaking to us, teaching us about himself and what it is to trust him. And thirdly, 
the usual warning. You see, where the preacher's selective, taking one passage from here, another from there, well, there's an increased risk, isn't there, of editorial selective bias. So test what I'm saying by the scriptures to make sure it's what God is saying to you in his word. So what's going on in Jeremiah as he delivers the word of the Lord to people who don't want to hear? Grief and anguish, deep regret and sorrow at the fate of the people who refuse to take his message seriously, refuse to repent. And it does appear early in the book, in chapter 4, as you heard, as Jeremiah thinks of the coming judgment, the invader from the north, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in agony, he says, for you, my soul, have heard the sound of the ram's horn, the shout of battle. Again, in chapter 8, my joy has flown away, grief has settled on me, my heart is sick. If my head were a flowing spring, my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night over the slain of my dear people. Great grief. And there is grief even for those who won't listen. But if you will not listen, my innermost being will weep in secret because of your pride. And that grief builds to a wretchedness Grief at his vocation, the Lord's calling to warn and keep on warning a people who will not listen of a devastating judgment that will take everything from them. Jeremiah feels it's so hard, the way it turns others against him, isolates him, so hard it would have been better if he had not been born. Woe is me, my mother, that you gave birth to me, a man who incites dispute and conflict in all the land. I did not lend or borrow, yet everyone curses me. Actually, more harrowing still is the last of Jeremiah's laments. May the day I was born be cursed. May the day my mother bore me never be blessed. May the man be cursed who brought the news to my father, saying, A male child is born to you, bringing him great joy. Let that man be like the cities the Lord demolished without compassion. Let him hear an outcry in the morning and a war cry at noontime, because he didn't kill me in the womb, so that my mother might have been my grave, her womb eternally pregnant. Why did I come out of the womb? to see only struggle and sorrow, to end my life in shame. That's hard to hear, isn't it? How much worse to feel. There's great grief. And there's also anger and frustration at the people's stubbornness, at their stupidity in clinging to their lies, their idols. Everyone is stupid and ignorant, put to shame by carved images. The shepherds are stupid. Oh, and yes, there's anger at people's plots against him. They're returning him evil for the good he's doing them in bringing them the Lord's sure word and with it an opportunity to turn back to the Lord. Anger that makes him call out for vindication. Pay attention to me, Lord. Hear what my opponents are saying. Should good be repaid with evil, yet they have dug a pit for me. Remember how I stood before you to speak good on their behalf, to turn your anger from them. Therefore, hand their children over to famine and give them over to the power of the sword. 
And that grief and frustration just makes Jeremiah want to get away, cease to have these people to grieve over and deal with. If only I had a traveller's lodging place in the wilderness, I would abandon my people. But actually there's more. There's frustration with God. Jeremiah feels the Lord is letting him down. You will be righteous, Lord, even if I bring a case against you. Yet I wish to contend with you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous live at ease? You planted them and they have taken root. They have grown and produced fruit. You are ever on their lips but far from their conscience. As for you, Lord, you know me. You see me. You test whether my heart is with you. Jeremiah knows he's suffering for doing the right thing. And he's living a life, verse 3, where he is always conscious of God's scrutiny that the Lord keeps holding him to a very high bar. But the wicked, verse 1, the hypocrites who speak of God but who live the life they please, not caring about God's judgment, well, they, verse 2, are prospering. And Jeremiah knows that it's the Lord's doing. You planted them. Now, how is that right? He says, I wish to contend with you. And there's more. There is a sense in which Jeremiah feels he's been all in for the Lord and is suffering for it. Yet the Lord is not honouring his message. You know, Lord, remember me and take note of me. Avenge me against my persecutors. In your patience, don't take me away. Know that I suffer disgrace for your honour. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me in the joy of my heart, for I bear your name, Lord God of armies. I never sat with the band of revellers and I did not celebrate with them. Because your hand was on me, I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain become unending, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed. You truly have become like a mirage to me, water that is not reliable. Jeremiah has spoken for the Lord's honour. He is delighted in his word. He's loved it. And Jeremiah's done what God wants of him, separated himself from sinful people and their heedless partying, identifying himself with God's indignation at the sin of his people. But that has just brought him pain and grief. He's suffering for doing the right thing. And in faithfulness to God's word, he keeps speaking of judgment, but nothing happens. The people don't turn to God, and there's no action by God. God says Jeremiah's like an unreliable watercourse. Words that promise action threaten judgment, but it all evaporates, disappears before anything is done. Jeremiah feels like he's been given a message that's causing him grief, but the Lord is not committed to it, has given up on it, that he's been left to suffer for no purpose. They're hard words, aren't they? But can you recognise some of those feelings and complaints in your own heart? You know the gospel's true, but you tire of warning of a judgment that seems never to come and at the same time know that deep grief for those who stubbornly refuse to turn to the Lord. You speak to people about the Lord Jesus, say something you think offers them life, 
And all you get back is rejection and mocking and you feel the humiliation of that. And life seems only to get harder and lonelier for you. Do you feel disappointment that despite your faithfulness, God is somehow inactive, neither judging nor saving? Well, at least not saving those you love. It's important to recognise these feelings to attend to what is going on in our hearts because if left unaddressed, they can lead to self-pity, resentment of God and others, bitterness. They can give rise to a creeping dissolution with belonging to the Lord, with sharing his word so that at best the accumulated grief just makes you want to withdraw from people so you don't have to care for them to just give up on ever speaking to others about the Lord Jesus, to go silent and keep your faith private and unengaged. And at worst, you can start to think the Lord is indifferent to your hardship, has abandoned his commitment to his promises and warnings, and it's not worth continuing. Feeling that wretchedness, wrestling with the grief and with the frustration with people and with God, why doesn't Jeremiah just give up? What keeps Jeremiah going? The answer lies in his relationship with God and the God to whom he relates. So what kind of relationship does Jeremiah have with his God? Well, firstly, as you heard, it's full throttle honest. Jeremiah doesn't hold back or try to hide from God what he's thinking and feeling because he actually knows that's useless. He knows the Lord knows. The Lord examines the minds, tests the heart. Jeremiah 12, as for you, Lord, you know me, you see me, you test whether my heart is with you. So Jeremiah doesn't try and hide what he's feeling. Rather, he turns to the Lord with what he's feeling, lays it all before him. So he doesn't complain to others about God. He talks to the Lord himself. And this is not just a relationship where Jeremiah speaks to God, lays his soul bare before the Lord. Jeremiah also listens, listens even to words that call him to repentance. So verse 18, his complaint, you truly have become like a mirage to me, water that is not reliable. And the Lord's response, if you return, I will take you back. You will stand in my presence and if you speak noble words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. It is they who must return to you. You must not return to them. See, the Lord calls Jeremiah to repent of his worthless words. Words, verse 18, that suggested the Lord is unreliable. See, Jeremiah has to acknowledge that his feelings don't establish God's reality that his feelings aren't the ultimate guide to truth about God. Only God's word is. Jeremiah listens as the Lord calls for him to model what Jeremiah himself is calling for from the people, that they return to the Lord by returning to the Lord's prophet, by acknowledging Jeremiah speaking the truth of God. Jeremiah also must live by the truth God speaks of himself, inform his heart and the way it experiences what is happening by that word. For there is, verse 19b, no life for him or them in Jeremiah accommodating his message to what the people want to hear. Just as there's no life for us and our hearers, 
in accommodating the gospel of Jesus to what our culture wants to hear. Jeremiah turns to the Lord. He listens to the Lord because he trusts the Lord. And that trust is seen in some place that actually we might think surprising. It's actually seen in Jeremiah's call for vengeance. When all others are saying the Lord will not act, Jeremiah repeatedly commits his cause, his vindication to God. Just verse chapter 11. But Lord of armies who judges righteously, who tests the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have presented my case to you. And Jeremiah does that, even when that vindication he knows will bring him grief. My eyes will overflow with tears, for the Lord's flock has been taken captive, his judgments enacted. Now there is a trust here, which is not just a trust in this particular word or that, but in the goodness of the injustice of the God who speaks the word of judgment. Though it grieves him, Jeremiah trusts his God will do what is just and right, be the God he has revealed himself to be to his people, even if the full picture at the moment is unclear to him. Jeremiah leaves his vindication to God because he trusts him. And trusting him, he turns to the Lord even when he's on empty and he despairs of any hope in himself. He keeps turning to the Lord, entrusting his life into his hands, looking to him to make sense of a life Jeremiah feels has no justification. Why did I come out of the womb to see only struggle and sorrow, to end my life in shame? See, these words in chapter 20 are God-given words, spoken to God for us all to hear. Yes, they express Jeremiah's reality as he feels it, yet they're spoken in faith. And so they'll become words which will vindicate the Lord, the justice of his judgments on a people who will not listen and his faithfulness to those who will trust him as he turns, and we'll see this, as he turns Jeremiah's shame into undying honour. Jeremiah speaks, listens, trusts the Lord. But who is the God to whom Jeremiah turns? Who is the God to whom we can turn, even with thoughts and feelings that are troubling and tumultuous? Who is the God who can speak and whose word gives a truer picture of reality than our feelings? Who is the God who can be trusted, trusted when we have nothing, nothing in ourselves, trusted to keep us, even when obedience to him turns the whole world against us? Well, as Jeremiah makes clear, he is the living God, not some dumb idol, the almighty creator of all. In Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah contrasts the Lord with dumb idols, idols who have to be carried about by their worshippers, who can't speak, who can do neither harm nor good, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and eternal king. The earth quakes at his wrath and the nations cannot endure his fury. You are to say this to them. The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under these heavens. 
He, the Lord, made the earth by his power, established the world by its wisdom and spread out the heavens by his understanding. So Jeremiah's God's the living creator who hears, speaks and acts and he is sovereign, he rules. We've seen that in chapter 1, haven't we? The Lord can call an individual before they are born and move empires to carry out his judgments. Oh, and Jeremiah's God is the God whose grief for a rebellious people, a people who provoke his wrath, is expressed in and alongside Jeremiah's grief. See, sometimes as you're reading Jeremiah, it's hard to tell where Jeremiah stops speaking and the Lord begins. And we see that in both chapter 4 and chapter 8. So you've heard Jeremiah say, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in agony. And you think this is Jeremiah, but you read on in this section and look at verse 22. My people are fools. They do not know me. That's the Lord speaking. Again, in the dialogue that starts in chapter 8. Well, it sounds like Jeremiah. My joy has flown away. Grief has settled on me. My heart is sick. But when you get to 9.3, the end of this dialogue, you actually read it's been the Lord's declaration. They do not take me into account. This is the Lord's declaration. And, you know, there's a sense where you don't need to be able to distinguish Jeremiah's words from the Lord's because Jeremiah's words are the word of God. The Lord is not indifferent to or aloof from a people under judgment. A people, chapter 2, he has spoken of as his bride, the object of his love. Though justly angry at Israel's betrayal, he is grieved at what their betrayal brings upon them. And though provoked, he does not abandon them, rescuing a remnant. And Jeremiah's God is the trustworthy God who vindicates his word and vindicates his servants, vindicates their suffering and their faithfulness that is at the root of their suffering. Let's consider Jeremiah 20, 18 again. Ah, to see only struggle and sorrow, to end my life in shame. And you know, at one level, what Jeremiah says seems true. Read the book. There's little relief for Jeremiah, just struggle and shame at the end, yes. In chapters 40 to 44, we see that even when his word was proved true by the Babylonian victory, the remaining people still would not trust him. They openly defied the command God gave them through Jeremiah to stay in Judah and not go to Egypt. They fled to Egypt. And they took Jeremiah with them, an unwilling mascot, to die there in obscurity. But Jeremiah's actually received a vindication beyond his imagining. Honour no earthly king could ever give him. See, not only was his word of judgment proved true, so was his word of salvation spoken in chapters 30 to 34. Oh, the word that promised the new covenant, we remember each Lord's Supper. The word repeated around the world as fulfilled in Jesus in his death. You see, Jeremiah is honoured and believed as a faithful prophet. And through Jesus fulfilling Jeremiah's word, 
Jeremiah's life ends in glory, the glory given to all believers in Christ. The God of Jeremiah, well, he's the living almighty creator, the sovereign ruler of all, the trustworthy God, the God who loves and grieves for sinners and speaks a word to us of both judgment and hope because this is the God we meet in the Lord Jesus the Son of God, the eternal word become flesh. You see, the Lord Jesus is the one through whom and for whom all things were made and who sends a word, the gospel of his death for sin and resurrection, that warns of judgment and offers life, rescue to the repentant. Oh, and the Lord Jesus rules all authority in heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus is faithful and true and will vindicate his faithful servants and show their suffering purposeful. And the Lord Jesus grieves. He weeps for the effects of sin at Lazarus' tomb. And he weeps for the judgment that will befall an unrepentant Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that will not acknowledge her king when he comes to her and has corrupted worship of her God. The Lord Jesus is the one who, in the words of Isaiah 53, is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, and the Lord Jesus is the Lord who is near to his people and can be trusted with what's going on inside. Trusted when we're on empty, who calls the poor in spirit blessed. But we don't have to face all that Jeremiah faced. But in this world, followers of the Lord Jesus are assured they will face opposition. In this world, you'll have trials, said our Lord, and will endure suffering. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, says Paul, will be persecuted. But what we see in Jeremiah is that the struggle to be faithful in the face of that suffering and opposition, faithful in living, Faithful in speaking, that struggle starts first in our hearts. So attend to your heart. Acknowledge, recognise what is there, for it is powerful. Recognise the grief that is always there when people reject what's good and true, what will save them. The grief that can just weigh your soul down more and more so that you just feel like withdrawing completely. Recognise the disappointment when God's word doesn't seem to be delivering in ways you thought it should. Recognise when self-pity is starting to creep in, when you feel the Lord is making it all too hard for you and you find fault with him. Name what's going on in your heart and learn from Jeremiah. He turned to the Lord, laid it all out before him because he trusted him and knew he couldn't fool him and he trusted that he would listen. We should turn to the Lord with our griefs and frustrations. For believers in Jesus can be confident that God will hear us. Our Father is. Jeremiah turned to the Lord and spoke to him. And Jeremiah also listened to him, listened even to that word that called for repentance, repentance for thinking and speaking of God as if what he felt was God's reality. 
Now, that kind of repentance may be hard for us because we live in a society that teaches our feelings are a guide to moral and spiritual truth, that what we feel is our reality. But the living God is not the creation of our feelings. He is. And he has spoken. And what he has said of himself in the gospel is so good that he is so just, he is determined to remove wickedness from the earth, so faithful he sends his son into our world to fulfil his promises, so loving he will give his son to die for sinners. Listen to him, not your feelings. Jeremiah spoke, Jeremiah listened, And Jeremiah left his vindication to God like our Lord Jesus who entrusted himself to him who judges justly and as we are called to do, to not take vengeance but to leave it to God. Learn from Jeremiah who had such a hard gig and such a tumultuous heart and who was vindicated beyond what even he could foresee. And learning from what the Lord gave Jeremiah to speak, keep grieving, keep repenting and keep speaking. Keep grieving. If you can speak of judgment to those who won't believe without grief in your heart, you are not like your God and not like your Saviour. Grieving for those who won't repent is right. It is where those two most precious things, it's where both love, love for the lost and truth, the truth of the gospel, meet in our heart, in our grief. So don't let your heart become calloused by repeated rejection and don't aspire to a comfortable orthodoxy where, secure in your knowledge that you believe the truth, you cease to care for those who are still blind to Jesus' glory. Inspire instead to the unsettling tumult of joy and grief, of thankfulness and earnest prayer for the salvation of others, of those who, like their Lord, keep seeking to rescue the lost. Keep grieving and keep repenting. Keep modelling to the world what the gospel calls for and especially practice repentance in your thinking, where you change your mind to think of God as he has revealed himself to be in his son Jesus and not as you might feel from time to time that he is. Keep grieving, keep repenting and keep speaking, even when empty. You see, you're not giving people your experience and you're not just speaking of your saviour. When you're sharing the gospel of Jesus, you are speaking of the saviour, the only saviour of the world who reigns and saves no matter what your feelings, who can save those you share the gospel with when you, no matter how cheerful and confident you are, when you never could. You know, Jeremiah said he could not keep God's word to himself. Whenever I speak, I cry out, I proclaim violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has become my constant disgrace and derision. 
And if I say, I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. You know, our word is not violence and destruction. We have a better word. It's a word turned to Jesus and find life. A word that can bring those who believe from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, from death to life. We should not wait for a special call for that word to burn in our hearts so that we can't keep it in. It should be set on fire by our love. Love for our God who in love gave his son to bring life to whoever believes and wants people to hear and believe. Love for the son, our saviour, who came to seek and save the lost and wept over an unrepentant Jerusalem who saves by his gospel word. Love for our neighbours, who need to find forgiveness, not wrath. Life for their death, light for their darkness a steadfast love in a world of loss. And that's what the gospel gives. Forgiveness, life, light and love. To persevere, attend to your heart. Turn to the Lord like Jeremiah with all that is in your heart and keep grieving Keep repenting and keep speaking. This gospel word, yes, that speaks of judgment, but is God's power to save. The gospel word the Lord has entrusted to each of us. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, now sometimes when we read Jeremiah, we are shocked by the intensity of what's going on in his heart. But yet, Lord, we also are shocked sometimes by what we see in our own hearts. Please help us to lay our hearts before you, to turn to you with our grief and frustration, our anger and disappointment. And help us not just to speak, but to listen, to hear your word of rebuke and to think of you not as we feel you to be, but as you have revealed yourself to be in your Son, our loving, almighty Saviour. And we pray, turning to you, help us to grow in trust of you so that we come to share in your vindication of all your people, those who persevere in trusting and following the Lord Jesus. And so we are those who speak the word of life to others so that they can find forgiveness, not wrath, at the last day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.